Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. This Globig Podcast is brought to you by Clevermail. Clevermail's worldwide legal business addresses and virtual office solutions help you rapidly internationalize your business. Learn more at clevermail.com. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today, we'll be talking about 2017 trends in internationalization. It's a part of our Lean Global Expansion Series, and our guest is Nick Stanton. He's the Senior Vice President of Global Employment Outsourcing at Safeguard World International. So the GEO service provides the perfect solution for legally engaging workers in over 150 different countries without the need for establishing a registered entity. Nick, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Anka. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell me a little bit about the GEO service. How does it work, and how does it make it easier, faster, less costly? You know, what are kind of all the benefits of doing that? Right, no problem at all. GEO actually stands for Global Employment Outsourcing, and it's, it's a service that we introduced here at Safeguard World International in 2010 after expanding into the United States and stumbling upon the professional employment organizations that provide a fantastic service here in the U.S. based around the co-employment model where the PEO firm will handle all of the administrative burden around human capital for its clients, providing them additional uh, access to better benefit policies, workers' comp coverage, and and more importantly, helping them manage the HR and and statutory requirements that any employer would have here in the U.S. And as we've expanded into the U.S. from from overseas, we've obviously recognized that, that a similar provision just didn't exist in, in many other countries anywhere else in the world. So we took it upon ourselves to, to really take that on and, and look to create a, a replica, if you like, or, or as close as we could possibly get it, solution to that PEO space. Now, what we found very quickly was that co-employment in its US form and nature just doesn't exist uh, or isn't very translatable elsewhere in the world. So rather than re-establishing co-employment around the world, what we did is is actually fully employed resources in other countries, well, that's what we can do, uh, on behalf of our client where they do not have any presence or infrastructure or establishment under which to do that directly themselves. Now, inadvertently, what we did is, is not only sort of recreate that PEA, but also create this fantastic way of of entering a new country or testing the water in that new country without having to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in in understanding how to register in that country and then actually taking out the process of of establishing yourself, which if if anyone out there has been through the process, you know, the the comparison with Pandora's box is is pretty accurate. You know, once, once you start the process, it's more costs upon more costs and, and for sometimes for a, an investment that you don't even know is going to be successful. So it, it's almost a, an accident, really, that we've created this, this great service that, that helps clients get into new countries that much faster. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, we, we talk all the time about how companies can be 
leaner in their startup approach in new countries. It's certainly something that you hear a lot in um, for in the startup community. But when once companies start looking international, they they forget that they could actually have a lean global expansion approach also. And that's, you know, this what we call a lighter touch or, you know, looking at ways to not have the the heavy office, you know, by using co-working spaces and not having the all the resources there, well, maybe with virtual offices and then not necessarily bringing in your own team or, you know, can you can you use your services to actually bring someone over or is it just in the country that um, you would need to hire? Um, so if you're referring to, to sort of the traditional process of uh, that a club company may undertake to explore a new country, for example, being sending one of their employees from their, their home base into that new market as an expatriate uh, to sort of start getting the company structured and set up. Um, well, absolutely, we can help in, in that respect. Um, again, it's a slightly different solution to the, the natural geo model because what we're effectively doing is localizing one nationality to another country. And of course, in doing that, we're, we're also sponsoring their immigration and, and justifying the reason they're going into that country. So from an expat support sort of structure, it, it's not the most ideal. Certainly for U.S. citizens who are always going to be taxed on their global income as opposed to being able to offset, obviously, what they are taxed in that other country on their earnings while they're there as well. So the GEO model, is, while it can, you know, in, in some cases where there's, there's little other option or it is a fit for the customer, handle those expats. It's far more suited to engaging local nationals in their home country where obviously the client isn't established well enough to do that already. That also helps them overcome um, a lot of the, the H-1B visa challenges that we're, we're seeing at the moment. And a lot of companies, you know, hitting their limits of, of the ratios that are allowed uh, for not foreign nationals against their locals. Um, and that presents clients with a, a big problem as well with being, you know, effectively um, not allowed or prohibited from engaging the talent that they need. So with, with GA, rather than having to even look at the visa requirements and understand how to bring that talent into country, we can actually engage it there for them. Oh, that makes sense. Now, one of the ways I know a lot of companies think that they can get around, you know, some of the regulations are that they look at using contractors, right? They think, oh, well, I'm not actually going to be hiring people. I'm just going to use contractors. Let's talk a little bit about what that is like and why that might not be the best idea. And so you've, uh, you've raised one real big risk area, yeah, that, that a lot of people fall into. And, and believe it or not, I've actually... Uh, been in the presence of a tax advisor from one of the big four firms, uh, I won't mention names, uh, actually advise a client that, that the only way to engage the, the talent in a foreign country that they were looking to was to make that person a contractor. Uh, and, and that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, uh, Contractors do present um, a significant risk, and, and that risk is really around maintaining the independent nature of that engagement. And in the vast majority of cases where people need some help and assistance in another location, 
you know, that, that job is, is not temporary or it's not independent. They're working within, you know, controlled uh, parameters or time. They're typically paid a, a fixed salary. Um, all, all indicators that, of course, that, that is employment, really. So we see a lot of clients make the mistake of inadvertently creating employment scenarios for them in other countries. Um, very, very commonplace. Now, don't let me don't let me see wrong in that respect. You know, engaging contractors is absolutely an option um, all around the world, uh, just as it is in in your home locations. It's it's purely a case of understanding the, the limitations of that that path, and and obviously how not to increase the risk that that can present to your business by by flouting those rules. Yeah, it, those seem to be one of the top risks that people go into get into. And and unlike in the U.S., even though there are regulations, you know, that prohibit that sort of thing as well, other countries are much much stricter. What are some countries that you would see that being a lot harder in? Um, great question. Um, it's it's not so much the difficulty. I think it's more the, as I say, just getting to the the detail and understanding each country as you're looking at it, um, because each country will will place different responsibilities upon both contractor and contracting agents. Um, now, I believe in Hong Kong, it's actually the, the agent's responsibility to withhold a certain amount of the invoice being paid to the contractor, and then remitting that on their behalf as a tax. Um, so responsibilities like that can can really catch people out quickly and, again, add to the risk and, and danger that they might be facing in doing that. How do you um, – let's, let's talk about just hiring abroad, kind of pros and cons. How do you find good people? What are some – what's some advice that you give your clients? I, do you know what? That's the, the biggest challenge facing any organization, and I, I think that's you know, in your own backyard as, as well as looking overseas. Obviously, the, the complexity comes the, the further away you move, the, the less you know about the culture, the other organizations that operate there, and, and the talent that, that is available in those locations. So as with any advice, um, certainly when operating in a, in a multinational capacity, I would always advise networking with as many local resources in the geography you're looking at as physically possible. Now, whether that's establishing relationships with other vendors, uh, advisors, uh, or just some contacts within you know, like-minded groups on, on the fantastic tools that we have these days, such as LinkedIn and, and other social media tools that allow us all to collaborate that much more easily. Um, Put any resource you can from anywhere. <laughs> you know, ask for introductions. Try and network your way through to, to anyone that can offer you that that sound advice and that is someone that, that you would trust. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So then once you find someone, you know, here we have these traditional offer letters. How does that vary from country to country? And, you know, just making sure that you're really doing it. Because I know certain countries there are very specific things that have to be in the offer letter or else you don't really have an agreement. You're absolutely right. And, and the risk is even greater than that, or well, there's more risk, if you like, because believe it or not, in some countries, a, a verbal offer is as good as a written one. So once you have given it, you are in a bind of sorts. And, and there's a lot of locations throughout Latin America where that would apply. So first and foremost is, again, before you even start considering 
uh, engaging a, a foreign a resource uh, or person is, is always understand as much about that country in advance and, and seek advice and support. So you can obviously avoid making those mistakes, which are then slightly painful to, to try and rewind um, and fix. Um, so we, we always talk to our customers and make sure we understand what, what has been discussed well in advance of, of looking to help them and engage those workers. So obviously we can help try and tidy up some of those aspects as, as early as possible. Um, but again, it, it's all down to understanding the local culture, the local nuances and, and processes that, that would be expected within that culture. So, so you are operating and adhering to what that resource is going to expect. So each country really is just completely different. I've heard that in some countries they expect a 13th month as a bonus, but it's like the same as a salary and it's really somewhat required. Um, and what are some other things maybe that we might not be aware of? Oh, my goodness. It's a, uh, a very big world out there with, as you say, many, many differences. Uh, and again, that's one of the things that catches most people out. Um, the 13th month salary across uh, Latin America, as I say, is a cultural thing that, that it's, it's local nationals have, have lived and breathed their entire life. So it's not, not at all alien to them. In fact, having, having only 12 months of payroll. Uh, is more alien from their perspective. Um, it varies so massively from country to country, um, certainly with regards to benefits that, that you may or may not have to provide in a statutory uh, sense. Um, in addition to, to understanding the statutory benefits for each country, you know, another thing that you must look into is whether there's any union involvement uh, based or supporting the activities that you propose to be carrying out in those other countries, because it, it's likely that the union involvement will have actually increased or, or added to the benefits that, that you have to provide as an employer to resources in that industry. So whatever statutory you might find, you know, on, on the uh, local government resource sites uh, or research privately, you know, could be very different from what you've researched when you go through to the, the final offer. Mm, absolutely. What if things don't work out? What are the options for companies? Well, when it comes to employing outside of the US, um, a very important note to make here would be that employment at will is very rare. In fact, I don't think it exists anywhere else on the planet. So the second you have made an offer in some cases, or the second you have engaged with a, a foreign resource, you know, it, you can't simply turn around and give them a two weeks notice and say that, you know, it didn't work out, we're, we're closing this down and moving on. You're going to incur severance costs, termination fees, and, and a whole lot of other things if you don't manage that scenario out completely to the letter of law in each of those countries. So that, that's first and foremost. Obviously, if, if you've actually expanded and established your business in another country, well, then again, there's a huge process in front of you to actually wind that down and, and cease operating in that country. And believe it or not, we have in fact spoken to, to some customers that said that the local authorities of the country they have been operating in were actually declining to, to release an entity that they had established and, and were delaying that process, which of course incurred more and more costs for that client who really just wasn't doing anything else there at the time. You know, their actual operations and any revenue generation had all ceased. So 
they were just left with this dormant entity that, that cost them money to report on every year. Um, so again, it's as important to know the, those factors as it is to understand your inception methodology as well, because if it doesn't work out, you need to know how to get out and, and keep that risk as small as possible. So how does that work when companies then engage with you? Obviously, they don't have to create an entity, but it, you then would have to take on all of the employment regulations and that sort of thing. What, how does that work with when you know, you're employing them for a company? In, in exactly the same way, really, Anka. As I say, there's no escaping the law. So everything we do is is to that letter, uh, and that's very much what we we aim to keep our clients compliant by. Um, so absolutely, we have to manage that as well, and and that really goes down to helping the customer, you know, understand the challenge that we are managing on their behalf, and and understand that, that if they do ask for us simply to terminate a worker tomorrow. Uh, with no additional costs, then then they're not likely to get an answer that, <laughs> that they enjoy. Um, because just like just like them, um, you know, we are employing them legally in that in that location, uh, and therefore we have to act responsibly as that employer of record and and follow the law. There there is no way around that, and and we would certainly not advocate anyone looking <laughs> looking for loopholes or ways in which they can avoid that. Because um, that's just not good practice. <laughs> That's good to know. Absolutely. So now if someone is uh, looking to go faster, how quickly could they get someone hired in a country as compared to if they're building and putting all these things together themselves? We have actually onboarded workers the, the same day as we have received a call from the client in some cases. Um, we helped Workday very early on in, in their global expansion um, by, by hiring some people very, very quickly um, as they needed to get feet on the ground to, to support some of their early adopter clients. Um, really, it comes down to the, the level of customization and, and detail at which our client wishes to go through in, in structuring the employments that, that we then engage the resource under. Um, so, of course, you know, employment contracts we can customize and, and add terminology and IP protection clauses and things of that nature. But whenever we're customizing, we have to interact with the local legal representatives that we have to ensure that any of those customizations doesn't put us out of check with the local laws um, and sort of give us a compliance issue. So that those sort of activities can extend that onboarding period. But, but typically we set expectations at worst case at around two weeks, um, which in some cases it, it might take you that long to get a meeting with a tax advisor just to get some advice on, on what your establishment options might be in, in the country you're looking to engage that talent in. Yeah, so much faster. What about cost savings? How does that, how does that work? How do you um, save costs for the companies that are going abroad? This is a, an incredibly cheaper um, or certainly lower cost path to, to getting feet on the ground in that country because all we have as a, an initial cost is a very small setup fee, which, which obviously covers the work of us doing all of that customization on the employment terms and employment contracts and, and getting it all set up for the client. Um, but that's typically between $500 and $1,000. So it's a really not very much at all when you compare it to the typical costs of a consultancy 
So to understand what options are available to you with regards to registering your business based upon the activities you're proposing to carry out in that country, as well as then engaging the, the required resources in order to help you take the steps of registering, getting all of the, the various insurances that you'll require, establishing banking facilities, uh, understanding HR you know, benefits and statutory employment law in that country. Um, that would take weeks and weeks and weeks. And in some cases, you know, the local authorities for a country can also be a delay in that process because none of them will, will turn around your registration the next day uh, and send it back so you can operate. Um, in France, we, we've actually experienced clients waiting well over two months to, to just to hear back after applying for a certain registration. Um, and that's obviously only stage one. So... Yeah, time and cost-wise, the, the geo model really is, is as fast and as efficient as you can possibly have it, um, and with significantly less risk than obviously investing so much money up front before you even understand if, if that investment is going to be a, a good ROI opportunity for you. Yeah, it's really the perfect way to do the initial testing and getting into a country before you really build all the processes around that. Um, I know we talked about contracting and the pros and cons of that. What about commissions? And is that uh, something that's easily taken care of as well? Do you work with commissioned employees? Um, commissions as in rewards for, for converted sales and variable compensation? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, we, we employ all different types of, of employees, <laughs> different industries, different markets. Um, and with that comes a lot of different compensation packages as well. So um, we've, we've employed some people with very, very exciting bonuses. <laughs> some cases, well over a million dollar bonuses. Um, in the oil and gas, gas space across the Middle East, uh, not uncommon. Uh, we've also employed somebody that, that bought and, and traded aeroplanes, um, which also yeah, brought with it a significant commission, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Um, so, yeah, we're certainly not alien to, to dealing with all kinds of, of different requests and, and structures that uh, clients would want to offer their employees in different countries. Uh, and, of course, in some cases, we guide them um, really on, on what might be culturally uh, expected or, or the cultural norm for that country. Um, as we also see, for example, a lot of U.S. businesses offering salaries and, and bonuses and commissions that, that would make those resources probably the best paid people in the country that, that those clients are looking at. Right. Yeah, right. It's, um, a, a constant sort of education piece, really, in, in helping our, our clients understand the culture in which they're going to operate um, if it's a new one for them. Interesting. Our, um are there roles such as just commission only roles or do they primarily, do they all have some sort of a base salary and then commission? Um, again, whole, whole variation. We, we have a lot of, of commission only or uh, employees on what we might refer to as zero hour contracts. Uh, if they are only required for, for shorter periods here and there. Uh, so again, a, a way of understanding the, the contractual paths that are available in each country and then helping the client identify which fits their role um, best for that, that scenario. Um, and again, we, we see a lot of businesses that have recognized the, the contractor risk in their engagement. 
a lot of organizations that engage product testers all around the world to obviously understand how that product is received by different markets mm-hmm. have, have faced this challenge for, for many years now and, and mostly will we'll use contractors without understanding that, that employment association risk or even permanent establishment exposure risk that, that some of those activities and engagements could provide to that client. Right. I think that's the part that we probably want to really, really make sure everyone understands. There's two types of risks in there and maybe more, but the first one is is if you have a contractor where it's really looking like they probably should be an employer, you have all these employment law regulations and where they, they could then go after you for insurance benefits and longer term benefits and things like that because they really meet the qualifications of being an employee. And then there's the, now you are actually a taxable entity because it really looks like you are truly employing people here versus contracting. So all of a sudden you have tax risk for your home entity as well versus, you know, just thinking you were just hiring someone as a contractor. Absolutely right. Yes. And, and that sort of permanent establishment risk for your business is, is definitely one that's worth um, looking into as early as possible because there's, there's certain activities that, that do carry a, a greater permanent establishment risk. And, and selling is, is definitely one of those. So that's a conversation that we frequently have to have, obviously, for those, those companies looking to test new markets by selling into them. Uh, sometimes there, there's more efficient ways of selling into that new market than, than actually directly selling on the ground. Um, so using a distributor or, or an expert partner in, in the country you're looking at obviously has, has the uh, channels already established and, and best paths to selling that new product. But, you know, the distributor doesn't focus just on your business. So Rather than, than actually you having someone selling on the ground, why not employ someone that, that actually monitors and collaborates with the distributor who's already licensed and established to do that? Um, and your resource can, can support them in doing it and ensure that your products are, are focused on in that country. You know, well, that, that activity in itself and, and the supportive nature does not carry a high permanent establishment risk. So in, in that model, you know, you'd almost be crazy to establish your business just to employ someone to manage a partner in that country for you. And, and that is a, a great example of where the geo model is just a perfect fit because you know, the short term in, in getting feet on the ground is very quickly achieved with, with literally a fraction of the cost and risk. But, but even in that example, you know, it can even last a longer term uh, under that model because there's no other factors driving that business to need that local entity in order to report what they're doing in that country under. So you're absolutely right. And, and of course, if you are exposed for, for generating revenues, perhaps in another country, um, again, a, a key driver for, for needing a, an entity because um, there's very few places on this world you can uh, make money without being taxed on it in this day and age. Um, just like that, you know, that, that country is going to want um, a slice of your revenues if you paid them in their country. So if, if you're deemed to have that high PE risk and that exposure, or you're, you're found out to be operating without an entity and reporting those revenues, you know, the, the problems can be tenfold what the employment challenges might have been to you, because you'll be mm-hmm. investigated for everything that you've done historically while you've been on the ground. 
and, and they could tax you or, or choose an amount to tax you, you know, deemed upon their, their opinions, really, in, in what you've been doing um, for as long as they like. And not only that, but if, if you push back, they could even look to stop you trading or, or block you from operating in that country full stop. Um, and we've seen a, a lot of the large sort of internet-based e-commerce businesses coming under those sort of pressures recently, um, while this sort of tax scenario is, is heightened. So it, it's definitely something to be aware of and, and always understand your permanent establishment risk in anything you do when you're overseas, even if you're sending one of your home-based employees into another country as an expatriate, you know, the activities that that person is carrying out for you in that host country, if you like, can absolutely expose your business for, for tax responsibilities mm -hmm. that you don't want. Um, so always, always do your research and engage an expert to help you understand those risks and then look at your options once you know, you know, where you stand. Absolutely. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure that our listeners understand about this space? Um, I think you've been very thorough. So some fantastic questions and, and good points. Yeah, great so far. So how might someone learn more? What are some of your favorite resources that you pay attention to that you know others can you know learn from? Well, again, great question. I, I tend to have quite a broad spectrum of resources I pull upon. Uh, LinkedIn is a great one because so many people do go there now to, to share updates and insights on, on not only their experiences, but what they've seen elsewhere in the world as well. Uh, and obviously having a, a great contact list, having operated over 150 countries now, um, I tend to get quite a, a colorful array of, of updates and shares from all around the world. Um, so that is a, a very good resource. Um, we use Bloomberg quite a lot internally here. Uh, again, great resource for uh, human capital, human resources, payroll requirements all around the world. Um, there, are, there are 101, I think, resources now out there, um, which is going to start listing. Um, but, but generally, just, just scanning uh, the internet for any updates and, and feeds, setting up alerts on... Um, important terminology um, that I'm monitoring within the space and then let the internet do the work for me, really. Mm, that's great advice. So we also have a fantastic newsletter that has weekly uh, information from companies such as yours where you have you always share really great blogs and insights and I would recommend they also go to your website uh, at Safeguard World International um, I completely How missed two. They... Uh, I missed two direct plugs there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I go to Globig, and uh, that's where I get all of my resources. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. we we do. We have really some great things about uh, you. Have some really great resources on your website. What is what is the best way for someone to contact you? What is the best way for them to reach out? Um, whatever is more convenient for them, really. Um, I'm, I tend to be all over the internet, so Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, but if you, if you put an inquiry across our, our company website, as you kindly uh, listed out a second ago, uh, then that will be channeled to me pretty quickly, uh, and I'll get back to folks as, as quickly as I can. Um, I'm also listed on a, a few other resources, as well as the, the Globig site. Um, we work with a company in the UK called Startup Overseas, and I'm one of the advisors on their panels. Uh, so 
that's another good resource, uh, certainly for, for global expansion. Um, or drop me an email um, at nickstanton at safeguardworld.com. Um, seems to be the most popular uh, tool these days for, for reaching out. Um, but, but seriously, I'm, I'm quite open to being contacted in, in whatever way works for clients. So phone call, email, um, LinkedIn request, whatever it is. I just enjoy networking with as, as many people as I can. Mm, and absolutely, don't forget to reach out to Nick. And uh, Nick, we want to thank you so very much for joining us today. I want to also thank our listeners for their support of uh, Globig Podcasts. Please tune in next time. Visit our website at globig.co for all of your free international business expansion resources, knowledge, and connections. <laughs>